Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome back to When in Romance, where we get to talk about all things romance novels. Uh, I am Jess. And I am Trisha. And we are recording on Thursday, February 1st, 2024. It's February. Finally. Finally. Like, I say this as somebody who has a January birthday and so actually genuinely really loves January. This (laughs) January went on for seven months. Yeah, it was like 300 years of January. And now you all are listening to this, and it's not even February 1st anymore. You're already four days into the future. February is already flying by. Yes. Yes, it is. How are you, Jess? Besides recovering from January. Besides recovering from January, I think I'm doing all right. How are you? I am good. I feel feel ready for February. February, as some folks know, can be a bit of a dicey month for romance readers. A lot mm-hmm. of think pieces, a lot of think mm-hmm. pieces coming your way over the course of the next few weeks. But uh, we'll talk, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that later on. Yeah, there's some, there's some stuff that needs to be talked about, I think. Um, but we'll get there. We'll get there. We will. Before we get there, Jess, uh, I'm intrigued by what you are reading. I can see it in our show notes and I would love to hear more. I am reading Night Song by Beverly Jenkins. It is her first book, published in 1994, 30 years ago. And I have not read it because I am very slow at getting through Miss Bev's backlist. That is so I didn't realize that that was her first. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. I, I will confess I have not read that one either. I think I probably read... I don't, it's so hard to say. I feel like I've read at least half, maybe closer to two thirds mm-hmm. of Beverly Jenkins books, but I haven't read, I think I read Indigo and Vivid, which we did um, as a book club book, Vivid. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think those are the only really, really early ones I've read. Yeah, this one, like, you can tell that she established her her voice early on and just held on to it as she started writing. I've read you know smatterings of things through her like extreme backlist like midnight and um night hawk which i always mm. used to confuse with night song yes <laughs> fair and indigo of course um but i get to chat with her again later this year Um, So I'm trying to read as many of her books as I can. And I really figured that Night Song should be one that I definitely have will have read by the time we have that conversation. (laughs) Well, that sounds lovely. I feel like uh, there's a good chance we will see more of her books pop up in the what are you reading segment over the course of the next few months. I'll, I'll try to, you know, diversify my my reading enough that I could talk about some other things, but I can't gar- make any guarantees. I feel like if there's one author to return to every episode for six months, you'd have a, you'd be hard pressed to find one that's better than Beverly Jenkins. <laughs> Absolutely. And speaking of authors that we like to return to, what are you reading? Uh, I'm so glad you asked. So we talked um, in the fall, I guess, probably a few months ago about a Kickstarter that Jackie Lau was doing, uh, wherein you could, you know, kick in, contribute um, a, I think, very reasonable amount of money and Mm -hmm. then get advanced and annotated copies of two of her new books. And so those two books, the sitcom star um, is the first of them. They're both the Choose Restaurant books. Uh, Just hit my e-reader. Gosh, maybe yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, the the um, it's the 
sitcom star and the reluctant heartthrob. They're both set in the same universe, I believe, with characters based on the same television show. And in both cases, one of the members of the main couple is a character on the show and the other person in one case is a long lost sort of old childhood friend. And in the other, it is a person who is unaware of the uh, the actor's presence as a heartthrob um, mm-hmm. is my understanding. I haven't read either yet because they did just land uh, with me this week, but I'm very excited to get into both. I think this is the first time I think this is the first time that I've read an annotated romance as I have been reading it for the first time. So mm-hmm. I'm excited, too, to sort of see how that's like and what that experience is like. Um, and I have never met a Jackie Lau book I didn't like. So I'm excited to dive into both of those. I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, both books, the non-annotated versions, will be available to the public within the next few weeks. Um So again, that's the sitcom star and the reluctant heartthrob. So unless you also invested in uh, the Kickstarter, it looks like sitcom star is out February 13th and the reluctant heartthrob is out March 5th. So be excited unless you already have them. And then let's chat. Yes. All right. So before we jump into some of those conversations that we that we so, you know, sneakily teased earlier. Uh, why don't you talk a little about Read Harder, Jess? Why don't you talk for the first time in this episode a little bit about Read Harder? Okay. Uh, so 2024 is the 10th year of the Read Harder Challenge. We want you to join us as we make our way through the 24 tasks that are meant to expand our reading horizons and diversify our TBRs. To get book recommendations for each task, Sign up for the Read Harder newsletter. If you become a paid subscriber, you get even more recommendations, plus community features where you can connect with a community of passionate, like-minded readers in a cozy and supportive corner of the internet. You can visit bookriot.com readharder to sign up and learn more. That's bookriot.com readharder. And if you stick with us for maybe another 20 minutes, you may <laughs> hear us return to the topic of 2023. Oh, no, gosh, we're in February and I've already reverted back to the old days. Uh, 2024's Reharder. Maybe we'll talk about 2023's too. I don't know, y'all. Let's find out. We won't. We'll be talking about 2024. Um, but before we get into any of our conversations, we'll take a quick break and be right back to talk a little email. All right, so right around the end of the year, calendar year, um, I realize that is probably the only year you all are thinking about. We have fiscal years in my job, but you don't care about that. So at the end, okay, good. So so we're not talking about um, either Jess or my work job's fiscal years. We're talking about the calendar year, the one that ended (laughs) in December, uh, in case that was not clear. We got um, some really lovely emails from folks, um, in particular, uh, uh, folks we maybe had done some recommendations for in our recommendation shows. And uh, I know one of them in particular that came from Sarah. I have been meaning to send them a note back for a month. Maybe I will have done it by the time you hear this podcast um, Mm -hmm. to tell me that it absolutely made my day. It sounded like our recommendations for them um, and I believe their spouse who they were looking for some recommendations for were a great fit, which is always wonderful to hear. That is always a delight. Uh, and also Sarah reminded us of um, a game that we played early on in the podcast, Jess. It was a long time ago now. I'm picturing myself in a an apartment I haven't lived in in quite some time, um, <laughs> in a closet of an apartment trying to record a podcast, um, where we made up our own categories for romance awards. And Sarah suggests that we might want to think about doing it again. So I don't know. It, it sounds like fun. We should maybe think about it. Uh, let's... Let's do that. Um, So many, many thanks to all of you who write in. But I did, like I said, I wanted to um, special shout out to Sarah because that email made my entire very, very, very long January. Um, And we got another email from um, another person, Katie, who we had recommended a book for. But Katie also wanted to tell us a story about what happened to them over the holiday and get some thoughts. So Jess, I am going to read this for you, and then you can start giving me some of your thoughts. So here we go. From Katie. I thought I would let you know a funny thing that happened during my family Christmas. My niece, 
always asks mm-hmm. her grandparents for books. Good job, niece. They grab random ones off of the children's section at Walmart. She's always enjoyed reading and just turned 11. I watched her unwrap Icebreaker by Hannah Grace, and I snatched the book away. My parents said it was in the kids' section. My sister read the book description and said it seemed fine. I told her it was not marketed to 11-year-olds. We all had a debate about cartoon romance covers and what is appropriate reading, what age they should be able to... Uh, what age they should be allowed to read, quote, adult romance. I never thought a romance book would lead to a two-hour family Christmas debate, but there you go. I wonder if you all could put in some thoughts about this on the show one day. So here we are, Jess. Today is one day. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? Um, I have a, f- I have a few, and, you know, it's about a few different things. Um, There is definitely a difference between marketing to 11 year olds and being able to read adult romance at 11 as someone who is in that that category of people who started reading romance what some would say too early sure um but um marketing is definitely something that we have to talk about um because obviously someone who was shelving books made an error in placing this in the children's section. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there is, there has been a lot of conversation about how adult romance and especially YA romance, because of some of the stylistic choices are sort of merging in people's minds um, as far as what they look like. And um, it's funny because... I was having a conversation on one of my discords a while ago um, about how adult romance um, is actually kind of distinguishable in some cases because the people on the covers of adult romance look kind of like paper doll people, whereas YA romance covers are this gorgeous, fully painted kind of thing. And something like Icebreaker, which also is a little more detailed and interesting looking than some of the faceless or mouthless uh people that we get in adult romance um would make someone who's like i don't know where this goes but it looks like all of these really pretty ya romances so i'm going to assume it goes there um and then of course there's the fact that icebreaker itself is a na romance a new adult romance set on a college campus so then it it gets even more confusing. Still not children's section, but if there's like young adult in, if we categorize that as youth reading and adult romance as grown up reading, <laughs> um, we definitely have to have a conversation about how we really distinguish adult romance from young adult romance um, because the covers are getting to be a little too similar. Um, but I I love illustrated covers as far as adult romances go. I think the ones that are gorgeous are gorgeous. Um, the ones that are less so could probably be changed. I don't like the idea of changing um, like an older cover that had real people on it to paper doll covers like we've been seeing some publishers do and some authors do who have who have gotten their rights back um but i do think that it is causing issues with people who are less familiar and i think that's the big thing is that like um if katie's parents uh the the niece's grandparents don't know what's what they're going to pick up the wrong thing thinking that it looks just like all of the rest of them um and that's another like we talk a lot about in inside insider knowledge in romance um but if we want other people to actually be interested the way that these illustrated covers have drawn people in um we have to figure out how to actually make sure there are specific designations that indicate that this is an adult book and not a kid's book. Yeah, I think it's interesting, too, that this happened at a Walmart. Um, and I don't mm-hmm. mean to sort of isolate Walmart specifically. I think it's the exact same thing could have happened at a Target or a Costco or mm-hmm. any 
place that has a really robust book section, but that is not a bookstore. Because I think mm-hmm. if you were thinking or talking about a bookstore, if you had someone who was doing romance buying based on, um, and I, again, I'm not trying to throw any shade at the person who does the book buying at this Walmart, but mm-hmm. I think there's a good chance that they don't have a person doing separate genre by genre sort of selections and sales, which I believe, having not really spent a ton of time, you know, working at a bookstore, I believe is a thing that a dedicated bookstore is more likely to have, someone who knows the genres a little bit uh, better. Um, mm-hmm. So I think there are a couple of things that are challenging about this, right? It's someone who is a non-romance and and probably also non-sort of YA or middle grade reader who is trying to buy a gift for someone who might be in that middle grade or YA reading age range. So I, if I'm one of those grandparents, I wouldn't necessarily know, right? Like, I don't know what I'm buying. I'm just going to the youth section, seeing what looks like it might be compelling, particularly, you know, based on the description and hoping for the best. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's a challenge. I do think, you know, a lot of the illustrated covers, as you talked about, are really beautiful. And also, it was easier, right? When there were uh, a particular style of romance cover that people, some people mm-hmm. really loved, other people really didn't, that were, maybe there were abs involved, maybe there weren't. Um, but it was easier to identify both by the cover and also, I think the fact that we've moved a lot into trade paperbacks as opposed to mass market mm-hmm. paperbacks makes it a lot harder to navigate the, you know, the wilds of books out there, especially if you are not reading in the genre that you are buying in, or you have not read something in particular that you are trying to buy. So I don't, you know, mm-hmm. this is really tricky because I don't think anyone of us is in a place to tell Hannah Grace or any other author or any other publisher what their covers should look like. But I can also really understand how this gets complicated and confusing i will confess i have not read heartbreak or heartbreaker sorry i've not read well i've read heartbreaker but i also haven't read icebreaker <laughs> which is the the first book in this series so i don't know like how steamy it is i think it is mm-hmm. probably a good thing that katie was familiar enough to know uh that it may not be that her 11 year old niece may not quite be ready for some of that content um because i think mm-hmm. That can happen, too. I think that's a, a complicated um, decision that, you know, parents and families make with, um, oftentimes make with uh, the children in a household of who is at what maturity level to read what. And sometimes mm-hmm. an 11-year-old is good to go. Other times, maybe not. So it's it's a really complicated landscape. And I don't know, um, I don't really know what the answer is as we get to more and more of a kind of a homogenous style of cover and size of book and, you know, look of these different books. It's tough. It's tough, Mm -hmm. Jess. It is really tough. And I think, I think we, because of all of, all of the elements that really bring us to this point in time, I don't think there is an answer. I think we've reached the point of no return. For now, right? And then the pendulum will swing back and there'll be, mm-hmm. you know, people who are topless again, maybe. Yeah. And lots more uh, clinches in various positions. Indeed. Sometimes even in bathtubs. I mean, one can only hope. Fainting couches. <laughs> there are a lot of things that could happen. Uh, but in... Yeah. In the meantime, I guess I would just tell Katie, I, this is a tough thing. And I, I'm glad that you all had a conversation about it because I bet it was a really interesting discussion to hear different people's perspectives on it. Um, and I wish I had better guidance to tell people who are mm-hmm. looking for a particular level of um, sort of steam content, right? A certain level of sexual content or of explicit content. Um, but mm-hmm. with books, especially right now, it's just... I don't know that there needs to be a rating system. I'm not sure that's the right way to go, but it is tough, I think, to figure out what, what, uh, how to find exactly what you're looking for. I think that's a challenge actually for a lot of adult readers as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. Let us know what you all think. We are very interested to hear it. Um, Because like I said, I think this is an interesting conversation that's not going away. 
So we wanted to talk about that. We also wanted to talk about uh, a post from the Shelf Love Podcast Substack, which if you are not subscribed to, I certainly recommend. Um, Jess, have you read enough of, of this to to kick us off on this one? I, I have. Um, it is an interesting... Um, I can't call it anything besides an essay. It's called The Data Does Not Exist to Support Romance is a Billion Dollar Industry. Uh, that that phrase in quotes. Um, and there's a little sub subtitle that says, and more importantly, we don't need it. So Andrea is is quite the scholar on romance. If you haven't read any of her stuff, I definitely recommend checking it out, checking out Shelf Love. Um, and one thing that she has done is sort of reverse engineered a lot of the phrases that we use when we're talking about romance, especially now that we're getting into that think piece period um, that we get into every year. Um, one of the big ones is that romance is a billion dollar industry that and that it supports um, the rest of publishing. And she challenges both of those um, assertions based on the fact that they both of them come from really old data. Um, so the data sort of exists. But does it really exist now is what she wants to look at. And how did it come to be? Where did this, where did these uh, phrases, these, these assertions come from? And how do we move on from them? Um, less of the moving on, but really exploring the back, the back end of it and what we can say instead. Or if we need to say anything at all. Um, and I thought it was a really, a really interesting look at some of, some of this information coming from the early nineties, as early as 1992, um, that we still use as talking points, even though we've got newer information, even though we can't actually get all of the information that we would want to get because some of, a lot of publishing has changed and a lot of the information that they might have been able to get with traditional publishing, with print-only publishing, with specific publishing houses, publishing romance only, is very different from all of the thousands of people who are able to publish right now at the click of a button and under an eye that will never offer up additional data. So I I think her conclusion is we can probably say that romance is actually more than a billion dollar industry based on what we have, but we don't need to say it because all of the other categories are also billion dollar industries. <laughs> Yeah. If you sell Bibles, if you sell children's literature, like we don't we don't need to say that romance is this big thing in publishing. It's the biggest thing in publishing. We can just say that romance is a big thing as part of publishing's big thing. Yeah. I think all of that makes sense and as you said, I would very much we'll we'll link to the um this particular post in our Show notes, and I do encourage you, uh, if you are a Substack user at all, I would encourage you to sign up for this one. It is um, really good. Andrea does have uh, a background, certainly in romance data, as as she mentions in her uh, in her posts. I think the interesting thing there's a really good breakdown of all of the things about this that are problematic. That the self published romance doesn't include isn't in any of these reports. That there's just it's such a big massive complicated system that it's really hard to count it and i think mm -hmm. the core point that she's making that also it doesn't matter we don't need romance to be a billion 10 billion we don't, we don't need it to be the biggest industry we don't need it to be the industry that's keeping the lights on as they say um 
Mm-hmm. And I've seen that. I mean, I've seen that in documentaries about romance, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. All of those things don't have to be true for it to be a valid genre for people to engage exactly. with. And I think that mm-hmm. was, I think it's an interesting argument that I don't know that I've ever heard articulated quite that way before. Um, it's one of those things that's funny, right? As soon as someone says it, you're like, oh, yeah, of course. But <laughs> until someone says it, you're like, boy, romance is keeping the lights on for everybody else, y'all. Like this is, and I think it's it's tempting to focus on the impact and influence and growth of romance because it feels to me, and you know, again, this is all anecdotal, but it has felt like romance sections and bookstores have gotten more prominent, have gotten bigger, have started to exist, mm-hmm. frankly, in some bookstores that they never did before. We started to see mm-hmm. just in the life of this podcast, we saw the first all romance dedicated bookstore open in the Rift Bodice. And now I mean, there are more than I can keep track of. I'm not saying there are hundreds, mm-hmm. but oh, gosh, we're probably getting close to at least 10 or 12 at this point, including mm-hmm. a second location of the Ripped Bodice. You know, so it does, mm-hmm. it feels like romance is bigger than it has been. It is more prominent than it has been. It is more, quote unquote, valid to a lot of people than it has been. And I think self-publishing is a big part of that. I think um, e-readers are a big part of that. Um, mm-hmm. But Again, at the end of the day, it kind of doesn't matter, you know? I um, Absolutely. I don't know about you, Jess. I just watched uh, two seasons of Reacher on Amazon. <laughs> uh, and so I've been thinking actually a lot about different genres and Reacher being, uh, it's been a minute since I read a Reacher book, but uh, based on what I remember and what I know of the show, sort of like a crime, mystery, suspense sort of genre as opposed to a romance genre. Mm-hmm. And it is equally fantasy you know like people complain about Mm -hmm. oh romance is fantasy you know people can't understand that this isn't how love and relationships work and blah 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 guess what uh Mm -hmm. reacher goes around just beating the crap out of people sometimes murdering them walks away Mm -hmm. consequence free because they're bad guys Mm -hmm. and they deserve it and that's fine and i'll tell you what if anyone wants to try to tell me that that is not more of a fantasy than two people falling in love, treating each other well, and deciding to make a go of it, I'd be delighted to have that conversation. So all of that to say, I feel like we as romance readers feel like we have to justify our genre in a way that other people generally don't. And I think that this article mm-hmm. makes a really good point that there's no reason why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we like we get defensive of the genre because people have historically and continue to throw so much at it. Um, But we don't have to, like you said, in order for it to be a valid quality genre, like it's it's it stands on its own just based on the fact that people love it Mm -hmm. and there are so many people who have found their way to it as a thing of joy. Yes. And that should be the talking point that we start to make as opposed to publishing keeps the light on. Publishing makes all the, or romance keeps the lights on. Romance makes all the money to keep, to so that you can, publish your one book every 15 years like all of those all of those arguments that people are constantly bringing forth um this article is really like okay numbers are great but do we need them and i do think you know neither you nor i have ever tried to make the case that romance is perfect and should always be defended in all circumstances. I think Mm -hmm. there are a lot of issues with romance. I think some of them have started to get better, but we're certainly not there when it comes to inclusion um, of all different kinds, you know? And I think when we get sort of, uh, for lack of a better word, defensive, I don't think that's quite the right word, but when we as romance readers start to get defensive and start to feel like we need to, you know, rally around the genre at the sake of all else, we can start to lose some of the nuance of the places where they're actually 
needs to be improvement in the romance industry and in romance mm-hmm. publishing. And so I think this is also a, to me at least, this also reads as a little bit of a um, reminder of we don't have to use this data and these numbers that are from at best 12 or 15 years ago. And as you were saying, definitely not at best 20 plus years ago, right? These 30 years ago, even Um, Mm -hmm. once we start to get away from feeling like we have to be this defensive of the genre, I think we can start to evaluate what is really great about it and what really still needs to move a little bit. Yeah. So anyway, like we said, uh, we will link to this. Many, many thanks to um, Andrea Martucci. I hope I am pronouncing her name correctly. Um, We do encourage you to sign up for the Shelf Love podcast, or not podcast. Well, yes, the Shelf Love podcast, but also the Shelf Love Substack. um, And we'll link to it. Let us know what you all think. Let us know um, what you think about the data, about the sort of discussion. And uh, maybe we'll talk about it again. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Jess, if I recall correctly, you talked a little about uh, a little thing called Read Harder earlier in this episode. Just a little bit. Uh, Read Harder 2024, if I am not mistaken. Read Harder 2024. Yes. This year. Exactly. (laughs) Also great, Read Harder 2023, but that's not what we're talking about today. Um, So we have... Uh, decided to toss out a couple of recs, as we sometimes do with Read Harder. As we mentioned earlier, you can sign up for the newsletter. You can get recommendations. If you become a paid subscriber, you can engage with the community. All of that is super fun and really lovely. But if that is not quite the right fit for you, that's okay, too. Um, You can just kind of work your way through the list. And so we will link to the full list in the show notes. Uh, But, you know, we thought maybe we'd give you a little bit of a head start, help you with some titles that might help uh, meet the challenge. So I'm going to let you kick us off, Jess. Where do you want to start? All right. So the first book that I want to talk about needs no um, additional promotion. I think um, the author of this book and the long leg that this book has gotten before um, its release date, which is, I think... If you're listening to this on Monday, tomorrow, um, I think. Um, But I can't help but talk about it because it's just such an interesting, fascinating book. And that is A Love Song for Ricky Wilde by Tia Williams. Um, This is her, um, not her second book. A lot of people think it's her second book. Um, But she's she's written a few books now. Um, And... This will be great for a few categories, actually. But the one that I am going to use it for is read the book and then go to an event about that book because uh, Tia is doing a full book tour. Um, If you are in the southern Arizona area or want to travel, she will be here at the Tucson Festival of Books. Yay. (laughs) But she's also going to be at physical places um throughout the month of february and march and also will be doing virtual events so keep an eye out for those um and check out the book now you're like okay so what's the book about the book um takes an interesting look at leap years being the time when or the february of a leap year especially being the time when um sort of the world's come together or uh the world gets weird as as you might say and so you've got ricky wilde who um is a sort of debutante but she's the black sheep of the family and all of her family run uh parts of the family business they work in funeral homes but she doesn't want to work in funeral homes she wants to own a flower shop so she picks up and leaves atlanta moves to Harlem into this historic brownstone that she is basically offered up by a an angel grandma um, and opens her flower shop that she's been saving up for. And she starts running into this guy. And it happens once they sort of have this startled connection 
And then they don't see each other for a while. And then they start, they keep running into each other. Meanwhile, every so often we're getting chapters set in 1924, because the book set is set in 2024, in 1924, about this jazz musician named Breeze. Um, so we know that something is in the mix, but I'm not going to tell you what it is because that's the joy of reading the book. But it is a romance. It has an HEA. I will end with that. But read the book. Go to an event by the author about the book is the read harder task for a love song for Ricky Wilde. And maybe that event is the Tucson Festival of Books. Right? Maybe. Maybe it is. Also in 2024. Not 2023. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that is a great one. I um, One of my favorite categories this year in the Read Harder Challenge is an underrated 2023 book, which I think is great because you can, I mean, don't be a jerk about it, obviously. Like, pick a book that's legitimately <laughs> underrated. Like, if something was on multiple best of lists, you know, <laughs> I love role playing. I don't think we can call it underrated at this point. But I yeah. happened across a book um, called Luke and Billy Finally Get a Clue. It's by Kat Sebastian. It was in my e-reader, so I must have pre-ordered it or something and then forgot. Um, but when I was looking around for something else, I came upon it. And I have said many times on this podcast, I love a well-written romance novella because it just makes me mm -hmm. feel like that kind of contained story when it's well done is just a very satisfying way to spend an hour or two. Um, and I feel mm -hmm. like that's what Luke and Billy finally get a clue was. And I, I did not hear much, if anything, really about this book. Um, I think it's interesting because it is historical romance as Kat Sebastian tends to write. Uh, but it's set in the 1950s, the late 50s. Luke and Billy are two baseball players. They play for, ooh, I think Philadelphia, but I am not a baseball person, so I don't know if I'm <laughs> wrong about that. I apologize. Um, but they're on the same team. They were rookies the same year. They've been roommates, and they're very different. Like, Luke is um, sort of everyone thinks of as him, you know, as like the boy next door, very uh, friendly, although he grew up in the foster care system. Billy is much more like growly sort of and uh not considered as as nice of a a guy not as clean cut you might say um so the book opens with Billy finding Luke who after getting hit in the head with a baseball it seems like this might have been before there were helmets in baseball uh was in the hospital <laughs> for a week and then has disappeared for two weeks no one knows where he has been he shows up at Billy's house um and so the story takes place over the course of the next few days where um, Billy, who's actually he's at his mother's house. He's at um, kind of his his family home um, in uh, North Carolina. Um, and they're trying to kind of figure out what's going on with Luke. They are sort of exploring this chemistry that is between the two of them. Um, they're just sort of getting a clue as the title says uh and it's lovely <laughs> and sweet and a little bit steamy and um i just thought it was like one of those really well done short books that you find very satisfying and i feel like it was underrated in 2023 so if you are trying to fill that slot feel free to pick up luke and billy finally get a clue by kat sebastian you know i think that was a surprise drop i think she just decided ah. to release it and Maybe she wrote it while she was um, working on You Should Be So Lucky or something. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I feel like it was like, hey, guess what? New, new Cat Sebastian. And it's happening. There it was. <laughs> there it was. Uh, well, I'm very glad she did. So hooray. Yes. Uh, what else you got, Jess? So one, one of our categories that you might not need recommendations for but we're going to do it anyway Woo. uh is read a romance with a neurodivergent character um and i took this as an opportunity to finally sit down and read the one month boyfriend by roxy noir um both of the characters in this book are neurodivergent one has uh severe anxiety 
and one has PTSD. Um, and they have to sort of work together. Um, they, they both have reasons to need a fake partner and they sort of accidentally fall into pretending to be each other's partner at a charity event. Um, one guy, the guy is looking for someone to go to a business dinner with him because he keeps telling this very persistent lady at work that he has a girlfriend. And then she has to work in the same office as her ex. And when she sees her ex and she's standing next to um, Shane, which is the guy, she just decides to take advantage of it and be like, hey, have you met my lover? I can't remember the word for boyfriend, but so I'm going to call him. Sure. Uh, which is a, a very funny scene in the book. Um, so they don't particularly get along. They have a history that has uh, especially sat on her chest for a while. Um, but they start to understand each other and it makes things a little more complicated. Um I am glad that I finally sat down to read this one because that means I can re continue with the series. And what Roxy Noir is doing is each book in the series, you can tell because the number of the book is in the title. So this is the one month boyfriend and then the next book is the two week roommate. And I can't remember what, I think it's like third time's a charm or something like that. Um, but uh, yeah. The One Month Boyfriend by Roxy Noir. I will say it definitely has on-page panic attacks um, and some other elements of anxiety and PTSD that you might want to be aware of before you pick it up if you also have issues with uh, these kinds of events because we want you to read safely. Um, so just be aware of that, but I think it's approached very well. And we don't often get to read um, books in which the entire protagonist cast is some form of neurodivergent. I think that is decidedly true. So I actually have uh, a book in the same category, um, which, as Jess mentioned, is to read... I want to make sure I get the um, category right because I misread one of these. Read a romance with a neurodivergent character. I read one. One of them is read a history book by an author of color. And I had like five and I was like, oh, they don't mean like a a fictional history book. So, yeah. but honestly, I actually feel like speaking of Beverly Jenkins, you could count any <laughs> of those as a history book. But anyway, that's not you what we're really talking could. about here. Yeah. Uh, we are talking <laughs> about a romance with a neurodivergent character. The one I picked is Always Only You by Chloe Lise, who has actually many of her books have neurodivergent characters. So um, mm -hmm. feel free to kind of explore that catalog. This is one uh, in the Bergman Brothers series, which was originally published. This book was originally published in 2020 and then republished by Berkeley just in December. This is one of two books that I'm going to talk about that I almost, in the other case, I actually did buy a second copy because it had been republished by a publisher. This one I managed to catch myself because I knew I had owned it before Berkeley republished mm -hmm. it. But just, I'm just saying, be careful. The covers are different, but you can end up owning the same book with two different covers, which is great, but maybe unnecessary. Anyway, uh, <laughs> this one is, I feel like the kind of thing you would call grumpy sunshine in that um, one of the characters, Ren, who is a hockey player, is the sunshiny one. Frankie is more of the grumpy one. She's the social media manager for the team. So even though he is very much into her, since she works for the team, she's off limits. Um, Frankie is on the autism spectrum. She also has rheumatoid arthritis, so she's dealing with um, a disability. And they, this book was just very charming. Like, Ren goes around, like, quoting Shakespeare and stuff. Like, he's just very sweet. And mm -hmm. it's 
I sometimes feel like the grumpy sunshine thing is a little, I don't know, it's not always a great fit for me. In a case like this, where the two characters seem to just fit for a variety of reasons, I find it very charming. So she's considering taking a different job, which is very upsetting to him. And there's not like a, I would say this is much, uh, this is more of like a character development, relationship development book than a plot heavy book. Um, But it's very charming. And there's a dog and like, one of, I think Ren lives on the beach. And it's just, um, it's very sweet. And I think this is a good example of a book that features a neurodivergent character, but that the story and the character development is not about that trait. Like all of the characters mm-hmm. are allowed to be whole, complete, multidimensional humans without um, zeroing in on any particular aspect of their lives or who they are. So um, this is the second in a series, as I mentioned, you could read the second book, Always Only You, without having read the first. The first is also lovely. The first is a little bit more new adult. This one is a little more... Um, grown-ups who are further at least into their 20s um i liked this one i think a little bit better so you could certainly start with always only you and i say you should (laughs) uh you want to sneak in one more jess yes and i might have talked about this book before i'm not sure but um it is i am offering it up for the for the read harder task read a genre book romance is a genre book uh by a disabled author and I am including chronic illness in there in that. Um, and it is Love Flushed by Evie Mitchell. Um, Evie Mitchell has Crohn's disease. She is very open about her experience with that. And this, also the second book in a series, which you can definitely read on its own, um, is more of um a lived experience book. Uh the main character, Annie, has um Crohn's or IBS I I can't remember um or maybe IBD um and she actually has created a special toilet paper company for people like her who spend a lot of time in the bathroom um but she needs a new distributor and she hates the fact that she has to do this but she goes back to um where she's from to ask for help from her ex-boyfriend um who can be a distributor for her and they have a lot of history the history is great i don't read a whole lot of second chance and i thought that the way that this was approached was very well done um but also the fact that Um, Evie Mitchell having had the experience of having a gastrointestinal disease or disorder um, really writes Annie very honestly about just the experience of having to deal with all of this and be a human at the same time. Um, So I really liked Love Flushed by Evie Mitchell and her that entire series I think is worth checking out. Um, the first book, which has the word not in it, not my type, I think, involves Mm -hmm. a a woman in a wheelchair who, um, wants to learn a little bit about, uh, rope arts. Yeah, that one is great. I actually haven't read Love Flushed, but I have read Not My Type. And she is, um, a, she does a sort of sexual advice, uh, podcast, and someone asks her about uh, rope stuff. And so, you know, she finds someone who is a rigger and a carpenter. And uh, that one I would also very, very highly recommend. Mm-hmm. Um. All right. I'm going to give you one more that I know Jess has actually talked about, but I only read recently. So I have not talked about. And that is <laughs> for the category of a book you picked just for the title. Uh, that Time I Got Drunk and Saved a Demon by Kimberly Lemming. Which, come on, you know, mm-hmm. half the people who mm-hmm. read this book probably just picked it up for the title. And what a delightful mm-hmm. surprise they were in store for. Because um, this book is, I I almost feel like you could describe it as like cozy romantic fantasy. Um, mm-hmm. It certainly is steamy. There's, um, you know, like uh, definitely some explicit sex in there. And all of that is true. But it does feel... 
even though the stakes are fairly high, what happens is that um, Cinnamon, who is one of the main characters, accidentally, as you can tell from the title, saves a demon while drunk one night. (laughs) The demon um, lets her know that, in fact, the goddess that she and the folks in her village have been um, sort of worshipping, I guess, building temples to and whatnot, uh, is actually a real Mm -hmm. jerk. And so they (laughs) decide to go on a little bit of a trip and try to visit multiple temples, destroy the goddess so that the demons can live happily and free, but not hurt anybody. It's going to be fine. Uh, And Mm -hmm. it's just a sort of like, it's kind of like a road trip story. It's like a rom-com. They are sort of falling for each other like she's very into him but also recognizes that he's a demon and up until like a week ago she thought all demons were the worst so you know she's having some complicated feelings but even though the stakes are fairly high it never feels like stressful in any way Mm -hmm. um it's just like this sort of charming little adventure where someone who trades spices falls in love with a demon while they are trying to rid themselves of this troublesome goddess and it's just lovely. Mm-hmm. It reads fairly quickly. It's the first. This is um, the only one I've read, but it's the first in a trilogy. Uh, and so if you are looking for a book to read partly because of the title, but also just because it's a delight, I would pick up That Time I Got Drunk and Saved a Demon. Because someone who puts a title like that together deserves to be supported. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. I think... We would love to know what other folks are reading for Read Harder. If you are if you are mm-hmm. reading harder, um, some of these categories are a little tricky to uh, fit into the romance genre. For example, um, there's one I think that is about reading a children's book, which, as we discussed, doesn't generally mm-hmm. fit uh, the romance genre. But if you have this one, actually, probably that time I got drunk and saved a demon, I feel like maybe could fit in that read a cozy fantasy book. Serious. Now I'm just looking at all the categories, which is (laughs) not helpful. Um, So let us know what you are reading for Read Harder. Uh, Let us know what you are thinking about romance genre data and whether or not it matters. Let us know what you're thinking about covers and whether the illustrations are clear regarding the content. What else do we want to hear about, Jess? Just what you're reading in general, I think. We love to hear what folks are reading. And sometimes it's stuff that we need to discover. Indeed. Uh, I don't think I've read any of the books that Jess mentioned today. So, hooray. More books for the TBR. Uh, Many, many thanks. Um, You will likely not hear it, but this was a challenging uh, episode to audio edit. So many, many thanks to our wonderful (laughs) audio editor, Caitlin Brame. Um, as we said, please let us know what you're thinking, what you're reading. You can find us on email at whenandromance@bookriot.com. As always, I am on Instagram and Blue Sky at Trisha Haley Brown. Jess Pride. Uh, I am on Instagram at Jess underscore is underscore reading on Blue Sky at Jess is reading all one word and on TikTok at Jess underscore is reading. Uh, we're everywhere. Well, you are. I'm everywhere in a couple of places. <laughs> Um, I think that is it for us. We hope that you are enjoying a new month now that we're in February. Yes. Happiest of happy February and happy reading. 